The Courage to Lead, Episode 63. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at IB4E-Coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week because I get to do stuff like this, um, helping my clients and uh, executives to become better and more courageous leaders. And I get to interview great guests for the podcast. So let me introduce you to my guest uh, today. Please welcome Tom Caresti. Tom Caresti is an industry influencer, a coach, speaker, educator, and mentor. His approach to leadership comes from a lifetime of international experience. His servant leadership principles are time-proven and based on biblical foundations. He is down-to-earth and able to strike a balance between business challenges and common-sense solutions. His motivational and engaging style will leave you with the practical and applicable solutions that you can put into practice. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for that uh, grandiose uh, introduction. So I have a, I have a lot to live up to now all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, I, no doubt you will. No doubt you will, sir. Um, absolutely. No, I've been looking forward to this. Um, want to talk about how you got started, um, your international experience. We're going to talk a little bit about your book and uh, whatever else comes up. But before we get started, I've got some questions that I ask all of my guests. These are questions made popular on the uh, television show Inside the Actor Studio, where host James Lipton asked these 10 questions of his guests. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Tom, hey, if man. you're ready, I have sure. 10 questions. All right. Question number one What is your favorite word? Uh, love. What is your least favorite word? Opposite of love, which is hate. Okay. What turns you on? Um, achievement. Achievement turns me on. What turns you off? Oh, I hate drama. You know, when people are gossiping and there's drama all around and complaining, I, that, that's the one thing that turns me off. Absolutely. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, uh, there's nothing like uh, a set of uh, pipes and a Harley. That's just, you know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Uh when a Harley rider at 2 a.m. in the morning starts up the Harley outside my window. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, question number seven. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Hungarian by birth and Hungarians uh, curse poetically. Okay. So, you know, they, they can like go on for this long run on sentence combining all kinds of word words. But the most common Hungarian curse word is called buzzmeg. Okay. So if you, if you have Hungarians in your audience, they'll know what buzzneck means. All right. And if you do, please put that down in the notes below. All right. Question number eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, I was, you know, all week I'm watching Wimbledon. I mean, if, if I had the skill sets and I had the physical talent of these guys, I would love to be a t- professional tennis player. Um, awesome. One of the things I love about tennis, it's, it's one of those sports where, you know, you don't have big contracts. If you win, you make money. If you lose, you don't. So it's, it's uh, all about achievement. Absolutely. Good stuff. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? Um, yeah, I, I hate to be a garbage man because you're constantly cleaning up after people. Uh, but the fact is when you're in leadership positions, you're, you're a garbage man in many times cleaning up yeah. after people. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Tom. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive 
at the pearly gates. Um, actually, can I do a smart joke here? <laughs> so I, I use I use this on my uh, new recruits. You know, you get them in the room and you go, "Hey, um, you know, this guy John goes to heaven, and see Saint Peter is waiting for him at the pearly gates, and he says, you know, John." Uh, today's your lucky day. Uh, you get to choose whether you go to hell or you heaven. So you spend a day in hell, day in heaven, and you decide where you want to go. So John goes, all right, well, let me go down to hell and see what it's like. So St. Peter and John take the elevator down and the doors open and it's this sandy, you know, Bahamas beach. It's virgin. It's absolutely beautiful. And there's Calypso music and some of Johnny's old that friends are there and they're drinking Coronas and just having a blast of a day all day. Uh, so then at the end of the day, you know, he goes back up and then, uh, you know, next day he gets to spend in heaven. And like you imagine it, you know, it's sitting on a cloud with a harp, eating grapes and all that stuff. So it's very serene, very peaceful. So at the end of the two days, St. Peter goes, so says, Johnny, what do you want to do? So it was St. Peter with all the respect. I thought hell wasn't going to be bad, but actually it was a lot of fun. It was very beautiful. I think I take hell. So, all right, they take the elevator back down. The doors open and now it's like hell, right? It's like people slaving and there's dust and there's fire. And John goes, St. Peter, what happened? He says, yesterday we were recruiting. Today you started. <laughs> so yes, that's just a little heaven joke. <laughs> that is awesome. No, good stuff. Good stuff. That would be my luck too, I tell you. All right. So Tom, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got started, uh, your international experience. We're going to talk a little bit about your book and whatever else comes up. All right. Sure. So stick with us. We'll be back right after this. So stay tuned. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. All right. And we are back with my guest, Tom Caresti. Tom, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Glad you could make it. My pleasure. So tell me, how'd you get started? Tell me about your, uh, your background. Is this something that you knew you wanted to be an international influencer and, and coach and, and mentor, or did you just happen to stumble into it? Um, I guess I kind of stumbled into it. I mean, like in, in life, there's, there's opportunities that happen. And sometimes you're in control of those opportunities. Sometimes you're not in control of those opportunities, but opportunities do happen. And um, I think the trick in life and the trick was for me was to make sure that I'm prepared when the opportunity arises. I think a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm not ready for that job because, you know, I need X, Y, and Z experience. But if you go out of your way and, and gain experience one way or another, when that job opportunity opens up and you feel at least you're halfway prepared for it, then, uh, then you're ready to go. So what happened with me was um, in the early 80s, I was working uh, at Colgate Palmolive in the corporate headquarters. And, um, you know, life is all about influence. Uh, influencing others and and getting on their radar screen and and having them uh, buy into your ideas. So, you know, over a two-year period of time, I spent a lot of time presenting to senior executive VPs there. Uh, so then when the um, Iron Curtain came down, Eastern Europe dissolved, 
every single multinational looked in their portfolio and said, who are the native speakers? So look, if I'm born in Poland, there's probably 20 guys ahead of me. So I'm not having this discussion with you. Uh, but Hungarian is a unique language. So out of 22,000 employees, four spoke Hungarian. Wow. Uh, and I just, you know, got to know everybody on corporate headquarters, um, just through presentations, meetings, doing a good job. So they said, okay, we'll send Tom to set up Hungary. Uh, so that was my first, um, you know, international executive position. And then once I went over there, I, you know, became a, a known in the industry as a turnaround specialist, as a startup specialist. Uh, so then, um, you know, just word got around and people wanted me to work for them. So. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. And you've had some, I mean, you've worked for pretty good companies all over the world, right? Colgate, yeah. Palmolive, Phillips, who else did you work for? Um, Bankeiser and then Record Bankeiser. Um, maybe you haven't heard of the company Record Bankeiser, but I'm sure you heard of, you heard of Lysol. Yep. Will I uh, finish? I mean, you know, these are all, it's the number one cleaning products company in the world. And then the, um, the Strauss Group uh, is based out of Tel Aviv, and a lot of people don't know Strauss Group, but I'm sure you heard of Sabra, um, you know, Dips in the U.S. Mm -hmm. That's that's one of their products, and they're they're dominant in Israel. I mean, they're just a, one of the largest companies in Israel, um, and um, I ran their international division outside of Israel. So Excellent. that was a that was a fun ride. Yeah, that is awesome. And you're also affiliated with the John Maxwell Group. When did that happen? When did you get with John Maxwell? So I met John in, uh, it was about 2001. Uh, we had a house in Palm Beach Gardens. And then at that time, John was just like a guest uh, speaker at the um, uh, Christ Fellowship, which is one of the larger congregations in, in the Palm Beach area or in Southern Florida. And John had just launched his book, uh, Today Matters. Okay. So he was just speaking about that. So that's why I met John in 2001. And then, you know, I've been... I met John on, on multiple occasions because I'm part of the, uh, the John Maxwell uh, company. Uh, but, um, you know, I just been mentored through his books, through his words, through his mindset uh, over the last uh, 20 years. Just a, just a great guy. Yeah. And so you do coaching through them and, and speaking, right? Keynote speaking around the country. So yeah, so what the John Maxwell company does is they train guys like me to um, become, you know, public speakers. They uh, teach us to be uh, executive coaches or, you know, just like any kind of coaches, um, have us do workshops, uh, stuff like that. So they train you all this stuff. They give you some tools. So at, in the beginning, I was using John's tools. And then um, one of the exercises that they ask you to do when you become a public speaker, and it makes all the sense, is, is build a database of your personal stories. Because when you're up on stage, if you're trying to remember, rehearse stuff, it's easy to forget. If it's just a collection of, of your own stories that you're sharing, it's much easier to remember and it's yeah. a lot more natural and you connect with the audience a lot better. So I started building all these um, personal stories and then and I got, man, I got enough personal stories here to write a book. <laughs> wow. uh, so that was just kind of putting a framework around this. Okay, how do, how do, how do I put all these personal stories in, into a framework so it makes sense for people and and then uh, what I did was kind of reflect on my life over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And I've had a lot of failures and I had a lot of successes. So I said, okay, well, when those times that I failed, what was missing? And when those times I succeeded, what was working? Nice. So I boiled these down to these four keys. Uh, and then I did a kind of a follow-up test that I said, is it me? Is it unique to me? Or uh, if I look at leading companies or if I look at lead, uh, large leaders, uh, do they also share these four keys? 
Excellent. So that gave me a lot of encouragement to write the book because, you know, it's not just for me, but for leaders and leading companies, these four keys work. Yeah. Um, and then I just, you know, outlined those four keys and surrounded them with all these crazy personal stories to illustrate yes. them. And, you know, now we have a book. Excellent. Yeah. And the book is called C-Suite and Beyond. Yeah. Right. The four principles, right? So what are those four principles? Um, there are... Uh, the, the first one is called uh, culture. Yeah. Uh, and every, every organization has a, a unique and positive culture. Um, for an hopefully, individual, hopefully positive. Oh, not all companies have a positive culture. Well, then there may not be a winning company. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Um, and then um, I equate corporate culture with a person's character. You know, mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of startups, what happens is, you know, the founder or, you know, a couple of founders, their character becomes the de facto culture of that company right. early on. Yep. Uh, so character is, is like an individual um, or, or you can say that a, a corporate culture is like equivalent to an individual's character. Yes. Uh, then whether you're a company or whether you're an individual, you should have a vision for yourself. Yep. Right. And a company should have a vision for themselves. Um, and it's, you know, good visions are ones that are extremely simple. Uh, that people go buy into and uh, that people can you know, follow. So for example, my personal business statement is pretty simple. It's man of God, leader of men, right? So look, if you can't understand that, yeah. uh, it's not confusing. It's not a run on sentence of, you know, we create shareholder values to become, you know, global citizens. They're like, what, what does that mean? I don't right, know. right. Exactly. All the buzzwords. All right. Yeah. All the buzzwords, right? Yep. And then the third one is have a growth strategy. Look, mm-hmm. we all want to have a, we all want to grow. I, I don't want to be, uh, more out of shape today than or tomorrow than I am today. I don't want to be poorer tomorrow than I am today. I don't want to be less affluent tomorrow than I am today. So we all want to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but where people make the mistake on, on on strategy and growth is they they chase the shiny shiny object. And the beauty of a vision statement is if you have a strong and simplistic vision statement, uh, that keeps your strategy and growth in check. All right. So so for myself, every time I do something. And I'm not talking about, okay, am I going to go on a walk on a beach today? Or am I going to go to, you know, which restaurant? So not, you know, many, you know, the hundreds of decisions we make each day, but, you know, larger decisions like, you know, if I'm going to take a job or if I'm going to take a consulting gig for a specific client, I always ask myself, I said, uh, okay, if I do this, does it honor God? And is it a leadership role? Uh, if it's not a leadership role, I probably don't take it. And if it's, uh, if it's not God honoring in whatever sense, again, I walk away from it. So that's a nice thing about a simple vision statement. It keeps your strategy growth in check. Exactly. Cool. Um, and then the fourth one is, um, we'll just kind of rattle through the four. Uh, and the fourth one is really uh, building a diverse team. Okay. Uh, you know, you're, you're in a circle. Um, everybody should have an inner circle. One is too small of a number to achieve greatness, as the great John Maxwell says. And uh, the fact is, you know, every time I was successful, I always surrounded myself with people that I trusted, people that believed in me, uh, people that supported me, people that helped me achieve my dream. Um, and they, you know, came along and they also were part of that dream. So having an inner circle is extremely important. Having people believe in you, supporting you is extremely important. And you'd be surprised how many people, you know, kind of surround themselves with, you um, uh, toxic people, you know, yeah. because of, you know, relationships and, and those people are not really there to help them achieve their dream. They're there almost like a roadblock. Absolutely. So, um, so that's, uh, that's the four. 
And there's oh, a fifth, there's a fifth bonus one, but you have to read the book and see what that is. <laughs> a little teaser there. No, and these four I think are key in in any business, any size business too. Like I said, culture is so important, and I don't think business owners put enough emphasis on the culture. A culture is going to happen whether you want it to or not, right? It just kind of evolves because of the right. people you have in there, the the amalgamation of all the, the people, the attitudes and their their core beliefs and everything like that. As a leader, you have to set the culture you want and make sure you're hiring for the culture you want and making sure that you're nurturing that culture or else it's going to go wild on you, right? Um, so I think that's important in vision, definitely. You have to have a, a nice, clear, compelling vision, but it has to be simple enough that you can say to people, this is my vision, and they have to be able to clearly see it so they can say, yes, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. So in your working with companies, uh, what do you see are some of the the things that they're they're struggling with? Is it in their culture? Is it in the vision? Or is it a combination of all four of these? Uh, you know, it's it could be any one of them. I, it, it's it's What I would say is if, if all four of those are done right, you'll be successful. Uh, if one or two of those are missing, you didn't get them right, uh, you're probably going to be unsuccessful. You know, so yeah. you can talk about, you know, I, I don't think any one is more important than the other. Uh, but if, if you're not paying attention to one and it kind of goes haywire on you, then, yeah. um, then you probably are not going to be as successful as, as if you pay attention to this stuff, right? Yeah. And paying attention to it, it just doesn't mean, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm the, the leader of this organization and thou shall, you know, we shall have a culture, you know, and then you slam your fist down. Yeah. Uh, you know, culture is, is one of those things, which is a DNA. And, and um, every person in that organization has to breathe it, live it, um, uh, and, and really it, 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 it leads that organization in the sense that I don't care if you're a CEO or a janitor, right? And if you're a low-level guy in that organization, you should be able to walk up to the CEO and say, hey, Tom, um, your behavior doesn't really support the values that you talk about. Absolutely, yep. Right? Uh, and that's the beauty of the culture because it, it's founded on values and then, you know, the values grow into uh, that they define that culture of, yeah. you know, whether that's an entrepreneur culture or, or a different type of culture. But um, if, if, um, if anyone in the organization, uh, it's not an attack on the individual. It's a right. simple conversation to say, look, we all signed on to this, right? It's not like it's your culture is different than my culture. So that's why we can't get along. No, no, we all work for the same organization. It's one yeah. culture. We all signed on. We all believe in it. And you're just not acting like it. So I, I'm calling you out. And every person should have the right to do that. Absolutely. Without fear of retribution, right? They should be able to, to come up and say, and you mentioned uh, values. I think that's important to working with my clients. That's one of the first things we talk about is what are the values? Because we as individuals, we base our decisions on our core values. Yeah. In business, it's the same way. You have the core values of the business and that's how you make your decisions. Do you make this deal or not? Do you work with this type of client or not? And if the business leaders don't teach those core values and share those core values with their employees, who knows what they're using to make their decisions, right? And so that lays the groundwork for the, the culture and everything like that and the vision. Absolutely. Good stuff. So how was it writing that book? You said it was mainly just a, a collection of, of stories. How was that process for you? Was it easy for you? Um, it... it... It's time consuming. Right? It's yeah. time consuming. It, uh, the process took about two and a half years. Uh, you know, you you, you first kind of do the outline, get some ideas, and then you just you know somebody who wrote a book and said, "Okay, well, look, 
just start writing and then you just kind of write story after story so then then you start kind of putting it together and then all right i had i think um i think i had two chapters written so i said all right well let me send it to a bunch of friends and see what they think so i i sent it to about six of my you know close friends and they all came back with the same advice. Tom, we love your stories. Your writing sucks, but we love your stories. <laughs> so I said, well, good. If, the, if you like the stories, you know, writing, you can always fix. But if you like the, if the stories don't hold water, then it doesn't make sense. So that gave me, again, the encouragement to, to finish all the chapters and then um, read it. Um, re, not rewrite it, but, you know, kind of edit it and add some more stuff and, you know, enhance it a little bit more and then rewrite it again and did it one more time. So that was a, a, an iteration of three times. And then I shipped it off to the editor. So then the editor was just, you know, make sure the commas and this and that. And I like the little things that I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, you have to keep a paragraph to about four sentences. I guess that's about the average attention span of a reader. So you break it up into four or five sentences at the most. Uh, so it flows a little bit naturally. It's a little bit easier to read. So little things like that, I would never have known. You know, I would have wrote yeah. a paragraph of, you know, 300 words, 350 words, and it's just too long. So, yeah. Yeah. The stories are so important, you know, especially in, in marketing yourself, your business, you know, being able to tell a story to kind of put the, the clients or the customers in that same frame of mind. So they go, yeah, that sounds like me. That's really important. Um, is there a story that you have in your book that that sticks in your mind? One of the, I mean, they all do because they're your stories. But is there one that uh, you could share? Oh God, I have, I have so many stories. Uh, I, I'll share one with you because you talked about um, character, mm -hmm. and um, and one of the things that um, I I tell people uh, to identify your character. Imagine you have three circles, and you you put a question in each one of those circles. Uh, first question is, who are you? The second question is, what are you passionate about? And the third question is, what are you good at? Uh, and then whatever those answers are, where those three questions, where those three questions intersect, that's where you really should be living your life. So, you know, I told you, this is a little gory story. So I, you know, I hope your audience appreciates it. But uh, in Eastern Europe and Hungary, it's very common for families on a farm to have pig slaughters. They usually have it in January, February when it's very cold out. So refrigeration is not a problem. And they take a pig and they slaughter it and they make salami and sausages and ham and, and all that stuff put in the smokehouse. So as a small kid growing up in Hungary, I used to go down to my uncle's farm all the time. And um, I, I never understood a word he said because he mumbled a lot and he cursed a lot and he smoked non-filtered cigarettes. And then when I was about 16 or 17, I would go down and then they would make me do shots of, of palinka, which is a, a local, you know, Hungarian moonshine made out of, of fruits. Mm. And that was my vision of my uncle growing up. So I never had a lot of respect for this guy. And I was just like, oh, you know, my bumbling uncle who curses a lot and drinks a lot and, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, so then, you know, Colgate promotes me to set up Colgate Hungry. So here's Tom, the big executives that moves back to Hungary and, you know, run a business and, so sure enough, my, you know, my wife and my kids, everybody's there. And uh, they invite me down to the farm for an honorary quote unquote pig slaughter. So we get there at 7.30 in the morning. Mm. By 7.30 in the morning, my uncle has slaughtered a pig and he's onto his second one for our honor, right? So they, they realized this huge freaking animal that's about, uh, it was about 300 kilos. So it's like yeah. 550 pounds. I mean, yeah. it's a huge animal. And my uncle, 
basically with nothing but a sharp knife over a period of two and a half hours, totally, you know, processes this animal where what's left over is like a small paper bag. I mean, that the whole thing was processed like, like in two and a half hours. And then my cousins, you know, at certain times they, they knew exactly what to do. So they've been trained. They knew where to, you know, start, you know, chopping up the meat to start, you know, stuffing the sausage and washing out the intestines to stuff the uh, the sausage into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it was like, it was like teamwork, like clockwork. Yeah. And, and then I, I kind of dawned on myself, so here's a guy who's now in his strength zone, right? I, my, my uncle went from, you know, low level to, you know, up here in my eyes in respect in, in a matter of two and a half hours, simply yeah. because he was in strength zone. He was doing what he loves and he was doing something he's very good at. Right. So my bumbling uncle who was smoking nine filter cigarettes and making me do shots of palinka, I was like, man, when it comes to dissecting an animal, this guy is great. I mean, so all you got to do is, is, is if you're in that zone and you know who you are, you know what you're passionate about and you know, you're good at it. Uh, people will see you through a different set of eyes. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so in your international travels and working for Colgate and those other companies and stuff like that, uh, did you have employees that worked for you? Yeah, my uh, my biggest gig was when I worked for the Strauss family out of Tel Aviv. I ran their international division, which was a coffee company uh, and chocolates as well. And I had uh, 2,000 employees across wow. 11 different countries. Wow. That's yeah. quite an achievement in itself. That's yeah. great. Um. If I was to bump into any one of those employees and ask them what type of leader you were, what would they say? What type of leader do you think you are? Uh, a leader who listened to them, okay. uh, who supported them, and um, a leader who made their, their organization successful. Awesome. Right? Um, one of the things, <laughs> you know, like I said, all these collection of stories. So um, my first job, uh, when I graduated from college was um, at Colgate Palmolive and uh, I was an engineer. So they put us into um, uh, I, my first job. There was, they called me a, a shift shift supervisor. Right? I, 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 I was the supervisor of a production facility. Right? At that time it was uh, the oral care. So it was a toothpaste facility in Jersey city, New Jersey. And so I ran that, uh, ran that uh, production facility and it was shifts, so you had, you know, three shifts a day. So, you know, sometimes you have the morning shift, sometimes the midday shift, and sometimes the midnight shift. So I remember this this one time, uh, word came that to Ruben Mark, who's the CEO, um, is coming to visit the factory tomorrow. So we did not produce a thing on the midnight shift. On the entire midnight shift, I had everybody scrambling around, cleaning the place, adjusting the machines. So the moment that Ruben Mark comes walking to the factory, Everything is spotless clean and, and the machines don't break down because we, you know, PM them the, the, the night before. So, you know, uh, I stuck around because my ship was over at 8 a.m., but I stuck around till about, you know, I think they came through about 9, 9.30. And um, it, it reminded me, you know, when, when kids play soccer, it's like a little hive, you know, like nobody goes to the open spot. Wherever the ball is, you have like 20 right. kids around them, you know, and they're running around. Um, so, so here's Ruben Mark and, you know, 15 cronies around him, like circling, like little kids around, you know, around the soccer ball. Um, they walk, like, I think they stopped by one machine. They didn't talk to anybody. Uh, then they, you know, for, for like 30 seconds and they went on and somewhere else. And I was like, 
what a waste of time and effort. I mean, you know, we spent eight hours from, from midnight to 8 a.m. cleaning the place up. And clearly the guy doesn't give a crap about, you know, anybody there. So, you know, and all these cronies are just like, you know, sucking up to him. Uh, so I was like, man, what a waste. So when I became CEO and I, and I had production facilities in 12 different countries, you know, I, I did it very differently. You know, when I went to Brazil, I would go down. I mean, Brazil, halfway across the world, people in a production knew me. I would go down. I would talk to them, obviously through an interpreter. Right? And um, one of the things I'd always ask them is, how can we make your life better? How can we nice. make your life easier? You know, nice. what, what can we do? um to 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 be you know more effective you know whether it was different machinery whether it was investments whether it was you know wh whatever it was and and then what we did was we made a note and then during the business review because that was the reason i went to those countries during the business review you know i made sure that that came up for discussion and then we kind of you know spent maybe a half hour 15 minutes discussing the ideas that we hear from the people and then it was the local management's responsibility to get back to, to whoever made the suggestion to say, hey, love the suggestion, thank you, and, and we're gonna follow up on it. Or, well, you know, it was a great suggestion, but I don't think it fits our, you know, whatever. But either way, the guy on the floor heard back, right? Yeah. We listened to him, he heard back. We made him feel like a, a human being, like a, a valued employee, that his ideas were were listened to. And and sometimes they have some great ideas. We're like, well, sure. You know, why wouldn't we do that? That's a, that's a fantastic idea. And, and to me, that was such a different contrast than what I experienced as a young executive where, okay. you know, nobody cared about anybody's opinion or everybody as a human being. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I, made, I always went out of my way to make sure that no matter where you're in the organization, uh, I stop by, I shake your hand. Um, just, you know, maybe it was just small talk, but, you know, I, but I that's important. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah, and that I mean that takes us into the uh, the courage, you know, the inner intellectual courage, being able to set aside the knowledge you have and be open for somebody else to come up and say, "Hey, I have an idea," and not feel threatened. You know, if you're the executive and and somebody like I said, one of the the frontline workers says, "Hey, I have an idea how we can improve things," why not listen to them? You know, they're down there doing it day to day. They they probably know some things they could do differently or or do better. So being open to listen to, to their ideas. Absolutely. Um, where did you find your courage to, to go out on your own after working for these great companies and all these different positions and stuff? Where did you get the courage to say, I'm ready to do this on my own? Well, there was a combination of two things. One, one was um, I have three daughters. And at that time, uh, one daughter was already going to university in Florida. My second daughter was just about to go to university in New York. Um, so I would get, I would have two kids in the U S and we're still living overseas. So we said, look, um, let's try to get back. And we've been, you know, we're at, at that time about, you know, almost 25 years, uh, overseas and international assignments. So we said, all right, let's try to get back to our roots. Uh, we did have a piece of property in, in Palm beach gardens at the time. So the kids at least would come back on vacation. So they would have a sense of belonging to the U S but it was a decision for us to say, all right, well, you know, maybe it's, you know, we, we had a long run, we had a good run. Um, let's, let's come back to the US. And then uh, the second part of that combination was that while I was in Central and Eastern Europe in emerging markets, everybody was throwing crazy money at me. Mm -hmm. And right? there's a lot of, you know, Tom, come run our business, come, you know, come turn on my business, you know, whatever. Uh, but when you get back to the US, you know, the, the opportunities were just not there for my skill set, right? Because 
I didn't have the contacts that I had, you know, built up in Central Eastern Europe. You know, I, I wouldn't know the president of Walmart like I knew the, uh, the you know, European guy uh, from right. Walmart in Mexico. So all those things, um, you know, I said, all right, well, I can get a job, you know, but just be like a middle management job that I don't think I'd be too crazy about. I wouldn't be too passionate about it. Or um, let me throw all the dice and bet on me. Uh, so that's how I opened my small, you know, my first business and rolled the dice. Uh, in retrospect, you know, I, I, I made some mistakes there uh, against these four keys. Right? One of the things was I didn't put together a really solid supporting diverse team. Uh, and so I tried to do a lot of it myself and it was a mistake. So um, I, I didn't I didn't use my own medicine. <laughs> We're all guilty of that, though. Right. You, you know, this is what I should do. But, uh, well, maybe I can get by. Maybe I can do it. Yeah. Um, so. In, in leadership and some of the leaders you work for and stuff, what, what do you look for in a leader? What have you seen in other leaders? Look, all, all great leaders, in my opinion, all great, great leaders re- realize that it's not about them, right? If, if anybody uh, comes off and say, you know, I'm the leader and these are my ideas and this is what everybody should be doing, they're probably not going to be an effective leader. And yeah. An effective leader is the guy that says, look, it's not about me. Uh, I always thought, as a CEO, I always had the easiest job in a room. Let me just fix my headset here. So I always thought I had the easiest uh, job in a room because, simply put, I had to create an environment for people who could be successful. Right? So, um, you know, talk about vision, talk about culture. Um, in any company, you can have the discussion up front as much as you want. You can have a big debate, and everybody's opinion is welcome. Right, but once you decide and you agree what that culture is with everybody's input and what that vision is with everybody's input, right, then everybody has to be on board. And if they dissent, then they have no room on your team. Yep. Now you just have to cut them out like a cancer. Sure. Right. Um, so that as a CEO, you know, we already decided what our vision is. Uh, so now, you know, what's the plan? What's the strategic growth plan that fits with that vision. And then what do I have to do as a CEO to make sure that my VP of marketing uh, has the budgets, has the know-how, has the resources to make that plan or that portion of the plan, you know, the marketing portion of the strategic plan in reality. You know, what does my sales guy need? Um, Whether it's, you know, contacts with the customer, contract negotiations, um, uh, you know, logistics, whatever, to, to make sure that those products get out into the market. You know, what, how do I support him? Right. So my job was always to say, okay, who's my inner circle? How do I support them? And then I make sure that, you know, also them, they have the same analogy and the same philosophy to say, okay, well, they're also only going to be successful. I mean, as, as a VP of marketing, you're only going to be successful if all your brand managers are successful. Right. So then you have to equip your brand managers to do it. So it, it's just a lot of philosophy that goes from top down. Uh, I prescribe to what is called servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me is, is what servant leadership is about. It's, it's not about me. Uh, it's about something much bigger than me. It's about serving my customers. It's about serving my employees, my team, uh, serving even my, my, my vendors and suppliers. Right? Sure. So it, it's all about that mindset. If you have that mindset, I think you'll be successful. I think so. Yeah. If, if you are doing what leaders should do, you've surrounded yourself with good people right? Good skills, good uh, knowledge, um, good abilities. 
you want to let them do their thing. You don't want to micromanage them, look over their shoulder all the time, because that just, it belittles them. It takes away from, from their success. But you want to be able to, like I said, set that vision. Here's what we need to accomplish. Let them go and accomplish it. And then as the leader, remove any barriers, anything that's, yeah. that's keeping them from being successful. You know, I think that's, that's what's most important. Um, of the people that you work for, was there a leader that really sticks out to you that did it right? Somebody that you would say, I, I try to emulate this person? Yeah. In, in the book, I talk about three different peoples um, who, who were my bosses that I looked up to. Uh, I think they were brilliant. Uh, the, the first guy that I worked for very early on, well, his name was Dr. Frank Morelli. Okay. Um, he, uh, he was very supportive. He was a guy that believed in me where I didn't believe in myself. Um, he thought I was capable of things that I never thought I would be. Um, and, and he worked together with me on, on putting a plan together for me, for, for my success. So I, I'll, I'll forget early, you know, I'll never forget early, my, early on my career. Um, we had a, um, a, a review process, an HR review process, a performance process at Colgate, uh, which was like a five-page uh, thing that we all have to go through. You know, it's like, okay, what's the skill sets and this and yeah. that. So it was a very formal process. And and up to that time, every time I had a, a, a review, it was always across a desk. Right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm on one side of the desk. The boss is on the other side of the desk. And the boss tells me what I did review, you know, what I did good, what I did bad, what I have to improve. And then, you know, I go and, and have a debate to say, well, you know, I did this and I did that. So, so it was, um, it was a negotiation, right? Uh, where, you know, I'm trying to stick up for myself and my boss is trying to be what I, what I'm doing bad and what I'm doing good. And, and that's what I was accustomed to. So then I worked for Frank and, um, we're going out to, um, a conference in Chicago. Um, so Frank says, look, um, when we're out in Chicago, we'll take a few minutes and we'll do your review. So, all right. You know, so I, I've got all my notes ready so I can defend myself and, you know, all these great things that I've done. Um, so Frank said, all right, well, before we then it will go down to the cocktail lounge and we'll, we'll do your review down there. So we're like, all right. You know, so we're sitting on a couch, having cocktails, doing my review. It's not across the desk. I mean, we're sitting next to each other. So it's very informal. And Frank turns to me and his first question is, so Tom, how do you think you did? Mm. Right. So, so now all of a sudden the tables are turned on me, right? Cause now I have to, I'm not defending myself. Right, I I have the freedom to structure that discussion whatever I want. Right, yeah, yeah. and and Frank already knows this because you know there's an old saying: never ask a question unless exactly. you already know the unless answer. You know the answer. Yep. So so Frank already knows that I'm 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 very um, uh, you know I guess maybe a, a, a way to say this I'm hard on myself. Right, I I I'm a very I I push myself to to make sure that I I achieve things. So Frank knows this and. So I, I go into my personal view and say, well, you know, I did this, but I could have done this better. And I did this. And then Frank is, Tom, don't be so hard on yourself. You actually, so total role reversal, right? Frank yeah. is the guy that's defending me and I'm the guy that's tearing myself down. Wow. So uh, he, he taught me a lot, right? He, he was just um, a guy that, uh, like I mentioned, he was a servant leader before that was even a buzzword in the eighties, right? Um, and he really supported us, not only me, but he supported the team. And, uh, he's, he's the guy that kind of put me on a platform to, so I could, you know, get to know all these executive VPs and, 
Uh, if it's not for Frank, I don't go to Eastern Europe. You know, I'm not on the map. You know, maybe one of the three other guys who spoke on Gary and goes to Hungary. Wow. Very cool. So uh, when it comes to courage and the courage to lead, what type of courage do you think is important? Or are there different courage, types of courage we tap into on a daily basis, either as personally or professionally? The intellectual courage we talked about earlier, there's discipline courage, having a plan and sticking to your plan. Um, emotional courage or uh, empathetic courage, uh, being able to work with people, the social courage to say what needs to be said when it needs to be said, even if there are ramifications, um, moral courage, doing what's right of those, or, or maybe one that we haven't talked about. Is there a type of courage you think is most important for a leader? Well, I would say, look, what is the opposite of courage? The opposite of courage is fear. And uh, most people don't do things not because they don't have the courage, but their fear overtakes them. Okay. Right. Um, so I, I've heard somebody say this, and I think it's 100 percent true. Uh, I think we over exaggerate fear and failure. Okay. Uh, and fear and failure stops us from moving forward and and doing the taking a risk and and doing the things that we want. And if you just come to the grip of that, you will fail, and it's okay to fail. And failure is not as bad as you imagine. I, most of us kind of imagine and say, oh my God, if I fail, what's going to happen? Right. Are people, you know, people are never going to talk to me again. I'm going to be a failure and I'm going to be disowned because my business failed and, and nobody's going to touch me with a 10-foot pole or I got fired from a job and nobody's going to hire me again. So, so all, you know, their, their mind is just like, you know, wheels are just like spinning, 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 spinning. And say, so, okay, right. these are all the consequences of failure. And, and if you just calm down, and relax a little bit and you say, okay, well, in reality, not what I imagine, but in reality, what's really gonna happen if I if I get fired from a job? Well, okay, I got fired from a job. You know, by the way, nobody gets fired from the job anymore. It's, uh, you know, uh, Tom went on to uh, more and bigger, better opportunities. Exactly. They don't name what those opportunities are. So, you know, <laughs> that's how you know, you know, if Tom's going on to uh, Amazon, then you know he's got a job in Amazon. If Tom's going on to bigger, better opportunities, then he probably got fired. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's okay. So you got fired. A lot of people get fired. You know, sure. it's, it's not, it's failure. Right. Um, but it's not the end of the world. You know, yeah. you're still the same person. If, if, if you kind of subscribe to that uh, model that I, I mentioned earlier, which is, mm -hmm. you know, who you are, know what your passion is, know what you're good at. Uh, and if you kind of subscribe to that, then, okay, well, I can take that same formula to the next company that sure. wants to employ me. And uh, as long as you learn, as long as yeah. you learn from that failure, you know, everybody fails, everybody falls down. What did you learn from it? If you didn't learn anything, that's bad. But if you yeah. say, you know, I, I realized what I did wrong, then you're in a better position next time. You know, so, yeah, we do learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. Definitely. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, uh, you know, we should be open-minded and learn from other people's failures. Not just yeah. your own, but other people's failures. Like, you know, a lot of us look up to other people. It's okay. What did that guy do to be so successful? Yep. Right. First of all, that guy to be so successful, I'm sure he failed a dozen times before he became successful. So uh, learn from other people's successes and Absolutely. also learn from other people's failures. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody once said, uh, learn from other people's failures because you'll never live long enough to make them all yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. So Tom, if you were to have it to do all over again, would you, would you follow the same path or would you do something different? Um, you know, I get people asked me that question in the past and, and my answer is, you know, 
I probably stick to the same thing and I'll tell you why. Uh, if I did it differently, I would make different mistakes. Right? Um, there's no way that I would go through life and say, okay, I'm going to second guess if I did it differently on this one, but yeah. it, that would have taken me down a different path. And I'm sure I would have made plenty of mistakes down the different path. So look, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a man of faith, right. And, um, you know, God has a plan for me and I'm just, you know, living that plan that he's outlined for me. And, and so far he's been holding me in the palm of his hands. Uh, when I was down, he picked me up. When I was on top, you know, he patted me on the shoulder and, um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to second guess his plan. And I'm just kind of say, okay, he opened the door for me. Let me go through that door and see what it looks like. Excellent. So what's next then? I mean, you've, you've had the great career. You've got your career now. You've got the book. Is there another book in the works? Uh, yes. I started uh, writing another book. Uh, the, the idea behind the book is, is again, you have the four keys plus you have the fifth bonus. Uh, so that, allows me to write five more books so I can kind of, you know, do a deep, deep dive on culture, deep dive, deep dive on vision. Yes. So um, I, I think in the, in the near future, I, I can see six books total. And yes. um, yeah, so that will, uh, that will take some time. And by the way, you know, wh- one of the things we talk about is strategic growth. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, what wh- you're putting together a strategic growth plan um, in the end, I don't care if you're a multi-bazillion dollar company or you're a startup, you know, with two people, it boils down to two questions. You know, what do you spend your time on and what do you spend your money on? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, if you just make that into four quadrants and whether it's time or money and, and time just means you look, you got a thousand employees, you're paying them about, you know, you're paying those people on a, on a regular basis. Well, how are they spending their time? Right? How are you investing their time? Uh, so whether it's yourself or a large company, it's time is really, you know, resources in house yep. and money is, you know, what are you spending on marketing? What are you spending on sales, trade, you know, all that stuff. So 80% um, or, or maybe 70% of, of, of our time and money is usually spent on things that are urgent and important. Right? You, you can't help it. It's, it's now, you know, it can be tomorrow. And, and it's important because I've, if I don't do it, the consequences are, you know, not there. Um, then, um, unfortunately, we spend another large chunk of our time on, on things that are urgent but not important. Yes. Right? Um, and then we spend very little time on things that are important and not urgent. So I think one of the things that I try to tell people the trick in life is you can't help spending time on things that are important and urgent. Uh, and by the way, if it's not important, not urgent, you know, like Facebook, you shouldn't postings, be doing it. You know, don't, <laughs> exactly. don't do it. If you're spending more than five minutes on posting on Facebook a day, then, yeah. then, you know, you're, you're not reliving a, a valuable life. So, yeah. um, so now reallocate the time and money that you're spending on things that are not important, but urgent and putting it into the quadrant of things that are uh, important, but not urgent. So was it, what was it urgent for me to write this book? Was it urgent for me to, to spend, uh, you know, two and a half years on, on putting the book together? No, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't urgent. It was important. Yeah. And until I made time for it and take away from the time that I was spending on quote unquote, unimportant, urgent things, I never would have, you know, wrote the book. So that's, um, you know, just a, another yeah. kind of trick for, for folks. And it all boils down. I don't care how big of an organization you are, time and money, what are you spending it on and exactly. how are you spending it? Exactly. No, good point. 
Well, we'll have you back on the show then after the next book is published. <laughs> Thank Take you. That deep dive into culture. I think that would be a great one. That that could be a huge, huge book because culture is so important and it's overlooked. I think by a lot of companies. It's over. So, it's also overrated because we, you know, uh, I think the U.S. Uh, industry. I heard some crazy number like they spend five hundred five hundred million dollars a year on uh, on training for for culture and all that stuff and. You know, if we're spending so much money on it, why are we so bad at it yeah. as, 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 you know, as a group, you know? So right. yeah, there's, there's some great companies that got it right, but there's so many companies that got it wrong. And it's not like because of lack of spending. I don't no. you know. No. And the ones that got it right, it's because they had that foundation of the core values and the vision and the mission purpose, right? Those yeah. are foundational elements and they hire around that. They retain people around that. They get people engaged. I think the ones that are spending that kind of money to build their culture um, are whitewashing. They're they're painting, you know, putting band aids on to try to to try to cover for it. They're having uh, team building exercises come in without actually looking at the core principles of the business. I think that's where yeah. it falls down. Yeah. So, very cool. Well, Tom, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Um, do you have a website they can go out to? So uh, the the good news is my last name Caresti is uh, very unique. There's not a whole lot of Carestis in the world. K K E R E S Z T I. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. I have my own website, which is Caresti.com. You could just go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, any online retail, look for C Suite and Beyond. Um, you can find me that way. So um, yeah, it's the it's a difficult name to pronounce, but. Uh, <laughs> But the good news is, you know, when you look for it, it's either me or my sister. And she's there an MD. Go. She's an MD, so you can't confuse us. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I will make sure all that information, all those links are uh, in the show notes. Um, so you. the book is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, all the retailers? Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of other, like if you're in Europe, uh, there's, uh, there's two retailers in the UK that carry it. Uh, there's one in Australia that carries it. Uh, so, you know, you can pretty much pick it up anywhere. And is there a link directly off your website? To the book? Yeah. Okay. You can you can also buy it on my website if you want. So. Perfect. Excellent. All right, Tom, I will have all that information in the show notes. Thank you again for being on, the, on the show. Really appreciated talking to you and stuff. And uh, yeah, I hope it was uh, as, as good for you as it was for me and my listeners. Um, some definitely some good information here. So folks, well, that's hope the you... most important thing. If, if you're, if your listeners just got one nugget, oh, uh, just one nugget, then, then it was really worth my time and my investment. And I hope I added value to you. Oh, you did. Absolutely did. Yeah. And I hope everybody uh, taking notes on this because there are a lot of good takeaways. If not, shame on you. Listen to the podcast a second time and this time take notes, be prepared. Um, And if you enjoyed the episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 